Welcome to Marathon Swim Stories, where we interview marathon swimmers to get perspective on how to endure, adapt, and overcome the challenges we face swimming and in life. In this extended interview, we talk with renowned open water marathon and ice swimmer, Lynn Cox. Lynn holds over 50 firsts and world records and is a New York Times bestselling author and motivational speaker. We talk about so many things, including finding a pod, planning for every possible outcome, finding positivity when life is inconvenient, and so much more. Please enjoy this episode. As I was just mentioning, we're going to skip the meet your lane mates today and talk to Lynn the whole time. <laughs> um, and I just wanted to acknowledge I, I canceled Marathon Swim Stories on Tuesday. Um, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in our, in our world right now, but in our country specifically. And last night, um, I needed to hear a word from Lynn before I talked to her. So I picked up Swimming in the Sink and I just opened the book up and the, the passage that jumped right up after me off the page was this one and it seems so appropriate that I just want to read it before we get started talking to Lynn. It's on page six and it says, my dad said that the color of one's skin is only a wrapping. It doesn't matter. Everyone is human. Everyone needs to be cared for. And that was just really beautiful and it just was the thing I wanted to say first before saying, Thank you, Lynn, so much for being here with us today. As um, we all know Lynn from her books and um, her writing uh, or speaking, and um, we've all probably been following her career for a long time. Um, but I want to let Lynn tell us a little bit about herself from about herself herself, like we usually do. So my first question to people, I'm gonna mute everyone first um, and we'll come off mute towards the end and do a Q&A. If you do have questions that you want me to ask, um, put them in the Zoom chat so that I can uh, read those if you don't wanna read them yourself. Um, and the only other thing I'll mention before we get going is that Lynn is offering all of us today um, what's called a virtual book plate. So. If you email me, shannon at intrepidwater.com or PM me your email address, I'm gonna collect all of those and send them along to Steven and Lynn and she'll be um, sending you, email you a virtual book plate that is assigned, assigned, maybe she could probably describe it better than I'm doing. <laughs> assigned, <laughs> assigned um, it'll be basically a signed book. It'll be a sticker that you can stick in your book with a sign um, from Lynn. So be sure and send me an email or PM me your email address so I can collect those and send them along to Stephen and Lynn. And I'm gonna now mute everybody and then take Lynn off mute. All right, Lynn is unmuted and everyone else is muted. So, Let's go ahead and have Lynn tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I actually started open water swimming when I was probably five years old. <laughs> my parents wanted to make sure that my brother and sisters and I could swim. And so we grew up in New Hampshire and wound up spending time with my grandparents in Maine. And so there were places 
pretty much in, in Maine that we swam in. And I think my favorite place was Snow Pond. Uh, and I think that's why when I get to be older and started doing competitive swimming, that I enjoyed the competitive swimming. But when my coach, Gambrel, gave me the chance to swim in the open water swimming off, open water off of Seal Beach, I just thought this would be so much fun. And that day when I was 14 years old, changed my life because I knew this is something that I want to do and someplace I want to be. So I, that's where my swimming really took off and where I found that there's a lot more than going back and forth in the pool, <laughs> like all of you. <laughs> <clears throat> so um, I, my recollection was that your, your first marathon swim was the Catalina Channel. Is that accurate? Right. When I was 14 years old, I... Mm -hmm. Heard about a group of kids from Seal Beach that wanted to do Catalina. And so I talked to my coach and he talked to their coach and they agreed that it'd be okay if I trained with them. So they had been training for about a year. They'd been training pool swimming, but they hadn't done they hadn't done any open water swimming till then. And it turned out their coach had been a lifeguard. So he had a lot of sense about the conditions and where to train and what to do. And and so I was able to come in and train with them for six weeks. And now I look at that and go, six weeks? <laughs> but but Gamble had been, my coach had been a US Olympic coach for four teams and he really trained us in distance swimming. And it was such a breath of fresh air to be able to be out and swim one lap and go five miles <laughs> and turn around and come back and, and know that you've done 10 miles versus how many times do you have to do that in the swimming pool? So um, I think maybe a lot of you felt the same way or feel the same way that, you know, you can go as far as your arms will carry you. And there's something so special about that. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit more to that about like why you swim marathons? I, I can speak to it because it's it's sort of my way of waking up every day if I'm near the water. It's a way for me to um, write. In fact, I just finished my seventh book and a lot of what I was writing about and thinking about happened when I was swimming for two hours in the morning. And then I'd finish the swim and I'd run inside and get showered and throw my clothes on and sit in front of the computer and be able to continue what I was writing. And so it was, for this book, um, unlike Swimming in the Sink, that was such a tough book to write and a tough thing to go through. Um, and I think a lot of those lessons were valuable and that's why I wrote the book. But this new book is about joy and happiness and, and a lot about what we love. So I was often, I was waking up sometimes at three in the morning wanting to get up and go write. And so it's a whole it's a whole different experience, and it's interesting when you write books. Each for me, each one is a different story and, and finds a different way of being told. So um, the swimming in the morning is a way for me to think and meditate, and also stay healthy. I mean, if I don't swim for two or three days, I start to get grumbly. <laughs> you know, things that didn't bother me as much start to make me grumble. And I think that um, I have a friend who is not a swimmer, but we stopped by to say hi to him, you know, at a distance. And he was just beaming. And I said, Charlie, what's going on? He goes, I just went swimming in the backyard swimming pool. 
<laughs> and he was like grinning and he just had that glow in the pink cheeks. And I thought, yep, that's what the swimming does. That's what's so different than being a runner. You know, there's something else about being lifted or being buoyant that makes your spirit feel that way too, I think. I'm babbling on. I hope no, you know. no, you're doing fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> How do you describe one of the questions I like to try to understand because I'm trying to capture it for myself as well. But how do you describe the feeling of completing a marathon swim? You know, for me, a marathon swim is, is such a puzzle. You know, the, the things that I've done often have never been done before. So it takes, you know, sometimes the Bering Strait took 11 years to be able to figure it out and to get permission for it. So to me, that's like almost like climbing a mountain and completing the swim is doing the summit. So there is a huge sense of satisfaction when I can complete a swim. And then the sense of I've learned not to be just satisfied and happy at the end, which is great, but I also now realize that in life, I need to have something beyond whatever that big goal is because otherwise I get through it and I'm happy. And then I'm thinking, well, now what do I do? Instead of going up and then coming down or going across and landing, I think, okay, what will this step take me to? What will be the next step? And so for me, it's sometimes it's another swim. Sometimes it's just another book. Sometimes it's where I'm going to go speaking. So it's all those different things that I've learned that don't do the highs and, the, and then the lows, you know, just, just try to stay up there. <laughs> yeah. Find yourself built like having this preset like events or do you kind of let things unfold? No, I have things in mind. Like before I swim the Bering Strait, I knew that I wanted to swim Lake Baikal because nobody had swum across Lake Baikal. And I thought that, you know, the swim across the Bering Strait was to open the border between U.S. and Soviet Union. And it was a huge deal at that time, especially for that to happen. And so I thought, well, if that opens the door, how can I continue to keep that door open or encourage more openings? And so I thought maybe the Soviets will allow me to go to Siberia and swim across one of their most sacred lakes and, and use that as a connecting point. But I also had in the back of my mind, if that doesn't work or if this could work, I would like to swim from Sakhalin Island to Kunashiri um, in the Kur Islands. And I'd been working on that for probably after the Bering Strait, I worked on it for about 10 years. But I was really hoping that I could do that swim as a peace gesture between the Soviet Union and Japan and the United States and never got the permission because the relationships just weren't strong enough at that point. And I don't know what's changed now, but at one point, you know, the, the Japanese were allowed to go to Sakhalin Island and Kira Island um, and visit their ancestors. In the islands there had been traditionally Japan, Japanese, but after World War II, uh, the Soviets uh, were able to have Sakhalin Island. So there was a lot of animosity about that. So I thought this one could help, you know, change that. I don't know what the status is now. At some point, I just thought, okay, finally, <laughs> there are other things that I'd like to do and um, other ways of doing swims. That's amazing that you have that. The, the forethought, I love it. Do you, I have to just ask, because you mentioned puzzles. Do you enjoy doing puzzles <laughs> when you're not puzzling out your world? <laughs> 
I like puzzles, but I'm really not good at them. I I think I like the mental puzzles instead more of, you know, how do I do something that's never been done before? How do I get permission? How do I know where to train? Who do I get for a crew? What, what are the dangers in the area? How can I mitigate them as much as possible? There's a whole list that I'm constantly going through and adjusting because, as you know, one day a swim in a certain area can be perfect, and the next day, oh, there's a water moccasin. <laughs> I'm not what I expected, you know? So I think that that's, again, you know, those surprises in, the, in, not, in not the greatest way, but also in the, oh my gosh, this morning I was swimming and I saw two cormorants fly by because they were nesting in the tree and you could see them feeding their, their babies. And like, okay, this is really great. So I think that that's one of the things that is so special to what we do is that, you know, we have surprises and we have things that we have to adjust to during the middle of the swim. Whereas in the pool, there's just, uh, are you swimming fast enough? Are you pacing with somebody next to you? Is the water 76 or 78 degrees? You know, it's, um, I'd look though at the pool swimming time is a great time to connect with friends too. But also I look at it as a great way to establish your pace and, and to work at a certain level and to do stroke work. But, um, Really, now in my life, I would much rather be in the open water. Um, it's just, to me, so much more fun. Awesome. Um, you mentioned, you kind of alluded to, like, the adapting and changing. How have you, um, how do you, do you have any recommendations or suggestions on how to adapt to those changes that happen inevitably during an open water swim? Interesting that you ask. I was just asked by a young swimmer in Virginia what to do. She called me because it was her 16th birthday and I'd never met her before and she was a swimmer out of water. And so I said, well, you know, is there anyone that you know in your neighborhood who has a swimming pool? And she said, actually, yes. And I said, well, what's the water temperature? She said, well, probably, I don't know, because, but maybe around 50 degrees. And I said, well, do you know somebody that has a wetsuit? And she said, oh, yeah, I do. I said, well, maybe you could talk to your neighbor and see if you could use your wetsuit and go swimming in the pool. She's like, wow, I hadn't thought of that. I'm like, well, that <laughs> might work. But I said, the other thing is that, you know, when I was training to swim across Lake Titicaca, there, I went to Dillon Lake in Colorado, which is at altitude. I think it's something like 7,000 feet, maybe more. I can't remember. It's been a while ago. But I was intending to train there to acclimate to the altitude and to the cold so that I could go swim in Lake Titicaca. And when I got to Lake Dillon and I was there with a friend who had climbed Everest and was a pulmonary specialist, Brownie was there, um, he's a doctor, and he was monitoring me and um, there was no place for me to swim. So he was able to get a hold of the people at Breckenridge and talk to them. And they allowed me to take the chair to the top of Breckenridge and put a stretch cord, tie it to a tree and swim against the tree. So I was talking to this young woman from Virginia who probably thought it was nuts. And I was <laughs> recounting this story to her and I said, maybe you can find a tree in your neighborhood or maybe you could get some of your swimmers all together and you could attach skills on where who for people who are just coming in <laughs> but for the for you who can't swim maybe you can do stretch cord together social distancing apart and 
and stretch cord that way. And, and then when you get bored with that, maybe you can get out towels and put them down and do the stretch cord on your back. So she said that she's gonna start doing that. But I also remember that, you know, there's so much resistance that you get from using stretch cord and you can screw up your shoulders. And you can also be at a slightly different pitch than when you're swimming. So you have to start off really gradually and, and take your time doing it. But I think that adaptation for me, for like Titicaca, really helped me a lot. And I was able to, over two weeks of altitude, in Colorado trained to go to uh, Lake Titicaca in Bolivia at 12,500 feet. And, and even though we trained, I still remember getting in the water there and thinking, oh no, I can't breathe. <laughs> this just wasn't what I expected at all. So um, the adjustment then was, I guess I'm going to have to swim a lot slower <laughs> and I'm going to be cold, but okay, cold or breathe. Uh, I think it's better to breathe. So, um, so I think we do those things though in our swimming and I think that's the solutions are fun. I think that's what makes it entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good way to look yeah. at it. Requires some flexibility of mind, it seems. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Do you think it's more of a personality that would be, that lends to the flexibility? I'm just kind of postulating here. <laughs> is it the flexibility? Yes. Is it like a, a personality, the, the personality type versus a regimented maybe kind of person? Well, I think that open water swimmers, uh, generally speaking, are really disciplined people. I mean, to be able to get up and go into the water and most times in every place that we swim, the water's cold or chilly. So to be able to go, okay, I know that when I get in the water, it's gonna be cold. But then to get through that and then start swimming and then start feeling good, I think that takes a huge amount of discipline. And I also think that just putting in the distance, I mean, to be able to entertain yourself or if you're swimming with friends, be able to keep them laughing. Um, one of my best friends who's now passed away, but um, was a, a man named David Udevin. And we used to train together as, as teenagers. And I just remember that as we were going through the surf, we would be just cracking jokes and laughing and sort of saying to each other, what are we doing here now? And then we'd watch the sunrise and think, this is why we were here. You know, but I think that open water swimmers have this innate sense of amazing discipline, but also grace that they, they love where they are. And they also have the ability to adjust and those who don't really adjust wind up going back into the swimming pool or into a different sport. And when we were first talking this morning, we are talking about you know, how many displaced pool swimmers there are right now and how they're winding up in the open water. And I was telling Shannon that you could just look over and you see these swimmers with their head down, absolutely unaware of everything that's going on around them because they're swimming laps. And, and I just think, oh my gosh, you need to swim with a pot of open water swimmers who know what's going on and can tell you to watch out for the, the, the jet ski that's coming near you. <laughs> you know, it's just, we have this heightened sense of awareness that a lot of people don't. Um, and I think we also have that because we want to be exploring the water that we're in, but I think it's also part of safety and being aware of what's around us. And I think for me now, you know, with 
hate to bring it up, but with a virus, you know, I'll be walking with my husband down the street and we'll see somebody probably 50 feet away. And I'll think, okay, it's time to cross the street and go to the other side. And, and my husband looks up and says, what? I'm like, we got to move to the other side. You know, just be really super careful for them and for us, you know? Yeah. Yeah, don't, I'm glad you brought it up because that's a big part of why we're here now is because the virus is, but it's brought us together in this new way that personally is, I'm enjoying a lot. It's um, been really, it's been really great. And actually I've, I've had a few other Zoom sessions with people who have read my books and uh, it's been amazing because I get a chance at the end to hear from them and hear what's going on with them and it makes it wonderful and, and interchange. I mean, just to know that your group is from Oregon and Massachusetts and New Hampshire and San Diego and I don't know where else, but, um, and to see faces that I've seen on Facebook but haven't seen in real life until now, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been an amazing, amazing journey and we're just gonna keep at it. Um, but I guess I wanted to, to hear a little bit about, it sounds like, um, well, I'll let you speak to it. <laughs> How's, how has it been for you since um, the pandemic? Was there stay at home orders where you were at? Actually, it's been fantastic. <laughs> I mean, not being disconnected from the neighbors in a way or from my friends, but uh, my husband and I travel, Steve and I travel pretty much three weeks a month for his work and for mine. And so we're constantly, well, we've been constantly just going for the last five years. We just met five years ago. And so I started writing this new book about a year ago. And over the last two months, I've been able to complete it. I mean, by having a routine and by waking up ready to write, and that this is unusual because, you know, Swimming in the Sink was a book that I started and it took five years to write. And basically I wrote the first version of it, threw it out, wrote another version and threw it out, and then started the third time and then wrote it because the subject had changed. And I thought what I had to say was, really more important than what I initially started with. So with this new book, it was just a joy to get up and to write and to work on. So, and the other part of it is that my husband has been working on an opera for 17 years. He's been writing the libretto, the lyrics for it. And he has been working on it off and on, but never had the time to sit down and really focus. And so in the last two months, he's been able to complete it. and we did this really cool Zoom session with a group of his friends from the former CEO of the San Francisco Ballet to a friend that he sang with at Cornell and the Glee Club and other people that he's known for all of his life to read through and evaluate the libretto. And so these Zoom sessions were so, are so cool, but it, for him, and I, I said, look, you brought together all these friends from all these years to do something that you've been working on all this time. And they've helped you hear these different voices and be able to figure out how to go ahead and write it further. So this time for a lot of people is like counting the days, but we really have been doing something with them and making them count because it's still our life going by. And um, we're also really lucky because we have super cool neighbors who are starting to have garage dinners with us. And they will put out a table near the door, garage door from their house into the garage. 
and order takeout and they'll get it there at where they're sitting. And at the other end of the garage, they'll bring the takeout to us uh, before we get there and we'll sit down at the table. And we've listened to music and opera and they wound up moving paintings into the garage so we could have some cultural background and it's been actually fun. So I think it's really, you know, it's it's not what you don't have, it's what you make the most of what you have and and, and having friends and neighbors that are really special and entertaining. You know, these are the things that get us through stuff, I think. Yeah, just like an open water swim, right? Yeah, <laughs> being <exactly>. creative. <laughs> being creative and having a good crew. <laughs> right. And that, you know, exactly. Because it's if you have a bad crew, I remember years ago I get an email from a young woman who had just graduated from MIT who was, or just about to, and she decided to swim the English Channel. And she decided to do it with not a whole lot of training. And she decided also to bring her mom and dad, who she knew in advance got seasick. So she wound up having a very difficult swim and her parents were sick the entire way across and weren't able to support her at all. And I thought, you know, that just wouldn't have been the way I would have set up my swim. You know, I would have made sure in advance that my crew was there to support me and I wasn't worried about them the whole time. And I think that that is something that, you know, ha things happen and it's really good to help each other out. But when you're doing something that's so involved and so focused, it, it makes a difference who you have for your crew in the water and in life. You know? and, and, um, I think that as we go through this section of our lives, it makes a huge difference that we're all connected right now, you know, and, and figuring out how to adjust and adapt and make something interesting. Yep, that's wonderful. Um, you obviously have a bunch of amazing swims on your resume, <laughs> to say the least. Um, is, is there a swim that you're the most proud of? You know, that's always a difficult question because people ask, you know, what swim did you like the best? You know, and the thing is that each one is different and each mm -hmm. one has taken, you know, sometimes a couple years, sometimes 11 years to be able to plan and do. So each swim has in my heart a special place. But I think the Bering Strait would be the swim that I'm the most proud of because it changed history. It opened the border between the U.S. and Soviet Union. It allowed people to go back and forth between the islands in, in, in Siberia and the United States, the Inuit who lived there. It opened up fishing rights. They created an international park that exists there now. And, and as a result of that swim and the opening, it helped to open the, it helped to bring down the wall between East and West Germany. And this wasn't something that I came up with. It came through different German swimmers that told me about this, that they saw the connection between the two things. So I think that the swim was incredibly physical and really swimming into the unknown as far as temperature and, and the human ability. But it was really all about how do we change a relationship with the Soviet Union and, and change the world in a positive way. And so, I mean, that's what kept me going for 11 years to try to get the permission to do it. Um, so I think that that swim is really the one that I was really proud of. And then to have President Reagan and President Gorbachev or General Secretary Gorbachev sign the INF Missile Treaty 
after the swim and for President or Secretary General Gorbachev to get up and sign the, the treaty um, and have him start off and, and mention the swim and my, my doing it and how that helped to um, change the relationship between the two countries. It made me realize that, yeah, we're just all human, but in that humanness, we can do incredible things together. And, and it, you know, sometimes it's just one candle that's lit that lights many others. So I think that that was the swim that I look at in my lifetime and go, wow, that was such a huge effort. But back to the crew, I had people who just thought I was out of my mind. You know, there's no way the Soviets are going to open the border. There's no way anyone could swim in 38 degree water. There's no way that you can have a crew that can go in walrus skin boats with you and do it safely. And so, you know, there were very few people who really believed that was possible. But those who did, really did believe. And those who went with me had the most amazing adventure. And they were people that I could count on that, you know, I knew that I had a plan A and a plan B, but that if something went wrong, that they would have plan D, E, and F, and beyond. In fact, you know, you, you may have read Swimming to Antarctica, but there was a wonderful journalist named Rich Roberts who wrote for the New York, for the LA Times, and he had a background in sailing. And so he was the one that kept asking Pat Umiak, who is the captain for the boat that was next to me, the Umiak next to me, that walrus boat, that, um, you know, what heading are you taking? Because we were heading off into the fog. And Rich could tell us, tell that the currents were carrying us to the north. And we were concerned that we were going to run out of island because the current was so strong that we'd wind up in the Chukchi Sea and I'd never touch the shores of Big Diomede. So it was Rich that kept asking Pat, hey, what, what direction are we on? And we kept making these great big corrections to the left, to the south. And, and I didn't find out afterwards. It was really this reporter who was supposed to be objective <laughs> and not involved, but couldn't help himself that he kept asking, hey, what course are we on now? And, and the thing was, was that they were using this, this compass that was huge. It was like this big but it was probably 50 years old and it was all rusted out. And who knows how well it was really working. But, but we got to a place within a mile of the southern tip of Big Diamond. So we didn't overshoot the island and then had to parallel little Big Diamond to reach um, the shore where the Soviets were waiting for us. That's awesome. You, um, commonly refer to our, our shared humanity. Where do you think you were, that was instilled in you? How do you think you came to understand our shared humanity? Wow, that's a great question. I think that, you know, I, I think it was really my parents. My dad was a physician and for him, I think that was a calling that he wanted to make sure that people got well or stayed healthy as long as they could. And that's what he did. And then I think my mom, being an artist, was able to see the beauty in people you know, all kinds of people. And so I think that, that having those role models and seeing what they saw through their eyes, I was able to feel that connection as well. And I think that one of the reasons why I've traveled the world to do these different swims, it's not just about the swimming, it's really about 
going to Chile to find out what it's like in Puna Torrentes and what people do there and how they live and going to Istanbul, Turkey for those same reasons. And, you know, I was just talking to a friend recently about writing, funny thing, and um, she was talking about history and how history repeats itself. The things in the world that are going on now continue to ha happen. And, and, I, and she studied intellectual history at UCLA. And I said, well, you know, I agree that I was a history major, but I said, I agree things seem to repeat themselves, but it's really not history that repeats itself because you look at history and things change, ideas change through time, but it's human nature that stays the same. So that when you're reading Anna Karenina or War and Peace or something like that, the human emotions of love, happiness, fear, hate, all those things exist through time. And I think that those are those human connections that we feel when we're traveling around the world. And, and I think that the other thing is that when we're doing our different swims, wherever they may be in the world, in the United States, that we find local people that are excited about what we're doing and somehow participate. And in doing that, the swim becomes much more than ourselves. You know, it becomes something really special. And that's one of the things that I've really enjoyed through this long career of open water swimming. You know, just being able to learn from local people and, and with their intelligence, be able to do something that nobody did or, or didn't think was possible and make it happen. Amazing. I love that so much. I yeah, <laughs> I will go on about how much I love it. But um, I was thinking, um, I have a hundred questions in my head. Um, I how do you, I, well, okay, so, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> do you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? I consider myself, I'm both. You know, I, <laughs> like, I like being solitary. I like thinking. I like waking up and going out and swimming and figuring out my, what my day is going to be and, and what I need to do today. I also like to think about if I'm having some kind of struggle with in life and, you know, what can I do that I can fix or change or how can I be patient to see the change occur? So I think that that is something that is really helpful to me. Um, but I also really love to be around people and I love to hear their stories. And because I think I learn so much more from them than I can from me, you know, so that's one of the reasons why I've written all the books now, number seven, but I've written all these books because I've wanted to share these stories. One of my most favorite authors is a man named James Harriet. He wrote All Creatures Great and Small, All Creatures Wise and Wonderful, All Creatures, the, the Lord God Love Them All, that was it. And so he uses his, his background as a veterinarian to work in the Dales, which is really in Yorkshire area, and to be able to talk about the animals and the environment as much as the people there. And so I think that my writing has been a lot about that, of using the swims as a vehicle to be able to go into an area and meet people and talk about the experiences they have and how they connect to what I'm doing. And I love the way he writes. Um, and I think he's just so down to earth and, and sensitive and kind. Um, and I like those kind of books. Yeah. A bit off topic there, but. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Um, 
what advice would you have to um, an as aspiring marathon swimmer, or maybe let's say, uh, how about we'll go with this first, a pool swimmer who's trying to summon the courage to go into the open water? I think the best thing you can do is say, swim with my pod, or let's find a pod for you to swim in. Because I think that there's a lot of great information that's, that's handed down from one group to the other. There's sometimes not great information, but that rarely happens. I think that if you want somebody that's new in the sport to have people that, are, that will swim with them, that will explain how to swim safely and to be with them so that they're visibly together with somebody else. And I think that also helps them overcome the fear. I mean, I still remember the day that I went swimming with that group of kids from Seal Beach and, you know, going into the water and Andy um, telling me, make sure to shuffle your feet. And I'm thinking, why? Well, if you don't, there are stingrays and you can step in one and it really hurts badly. So shuffle your feet. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. You know, and then Stacy saying, make sure when there's a wave coming to dive under the waves and then get pushed back to shore, but make sure your arms are out in front of you so you don't put a sandbar and break your neck. Oh, okay, that's a good idea. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that, you know, people that are swimming in the open water know so much and they probably don't even know how much they know. And I think that that's why it's so good to have an aspiring open water swimmer swim with a group. Yep, that's, that's good advice. Um, where's your favorite place to swim? Just having swam all over the world, is there some place you just love swimming? Right now, it's the bay in Long Beach, because that's, you know, sort of just outside my door. I wake up, put the swimsuit and cap and goggles on and cross the sidewalk or cross the beach and get in the water. And so um, it's just been fantastic for me because I don't have to drive anywhere, go anywhere. I just am here. And that's something new for me. Uh, because again, we were traveling so much. It's just like, okay, it's going to be a hotel pool. Maybe I can do 300 laps today. Oh boy, that's going to be fun. It's going to be 80 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> Not great, but at least it's water. Yeah. So it's nice to know that there's fresh water or salt water, right? Brackish water right out front the door, right out in the front door area. But um, also because I grew up in New England, I just love the, the Atlantic coast there, and I love the lakes. Um, there's something special about swimming also in late fall when the leaves are all different colors and the water is so calm and there's steam rising off the lake and the air is holding the sense of the forest around you, the pine trees and the leaves, and you just, you know, slide into that and it's sort of like the, the summer's last hurrah before, the fall and the winter, and you realize these are special days. I love swimming at, at that time of year in New England. Yes, I agree. Um, yeah, I'm getting lots of nods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, would you consider yourself a process or an outcome person? Both. Yeah. I, I think that for me, it's, it's finishing something is, is great, but the process for me is where you learn everything and where you make mistakes and where you think that something is going to work and it doesn't and then you have to figure out something else. And, um, you know, way back when I first started doing these swims, 
water bottles hadn't been invented. I mean, people just go, really? I mean, is that long ago? And I'm thinking, well, yeah, I was 14 years old and now I'm 63. So it's been a really long time. And so my mom was the one that came up with, you know, when you go to a diner, they have those bottles of ketchup, the squeeze bottles that are red, and there are yellow ones that are mustard. Why don't we use those to put hot fluids in or warm fluids, and then you can use those for your swim. So that was like, okay, this will work. But the problem with those is many of those didn't have tops on them. So then she came up with, well, let's use shampoo bottles, the plastic shampoo bottles. Like, let's use those up and save those, and then we can use those as water bottles. And then eventually we found some place where they, you could buy little tiny plastic bottles that were about this big and this high, and they had little spouts on them that would fold down. So those became the water bottles that we used for the different swims. The only problem with those was that you know, you'd go to drink and it, it squirted out like a tiny little fountain and it wouldn't, you know, you couldn't just take a gulp. So at that point, there were other bottles that were starting to come into play. But, you know, it's not always me solving stuff. It's, you know, people around me that have much better ideas. Yeah. Um, you kind of just triggered a memory from one of your books about, you know, approaching your parents and being like, well, I did the Catalina channel. Can I go to the English channel? And your parents being like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Where do you think that they got their openness from? <laughs> um, I think that my folks really just wanted to encourage me and my older brother and two younger sisters. And my dad really felt that swimming is good for our health and it's good for our health long-term. So, you know, their first concern was to teach us to swim to make sure we were safe. So by the time all of us were five years old, we were swimmers, um, some better than others. Uh, but the thing was, was that they wanted us to be able to excel. And so, you know, my brother wound up swimming Catalina Channel and having the world record, and I, I swam it after him and have the record in the other direction. And then he swam the English Channel too. And then my two sisters wound up playing water polo on the U.S. water polo team for 12 years, I think, and then I managed the U.S. team. So it was something that didn't just happen. It was my folks really supported all of us. And made a huge difference in our lives um, in terms of sports. But the other part was, hey, if you're not doing well in sports, you can't, you can't, you can't do, if you can't, if you can't do well in school, you can't do sports. You have to be able to do both. So I think that that set us up for doing well in life. Yeah. Um, another thing in your book you um, talk about right off the bat is um, your parents noticing that you were different and then, you know, you kind of as a child, even acknowledging that you were different. How do you think that that um, empowered you in your life? Just this, this acknowledgement of being. Yeah, I think that, um, it, you know, I think that they probably acknowledged they were both different too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, I think that they saw that I had a special ability to do something extraordinary and so they really supported it. But I think that all of us open water swimmers are different than mainstreamers. I mean, we just have a different sensibility and I'm really generalizing, but I, but I think that when things are tough, I think that we just think, okay, let's, let's dig in and go, you know, or it's really choppy today. Okay, well then I'm going to learn how to swim differently today. Instead of going, I'm not going to swim. I'm going to figure out 
a new way to adjust to this and make the most of it and learn something. I mean, I think that some of my best workouts were probably about six miles from here where I could swim down near the Huntington Beach Pier. Maybe it's 10 miles. But anyway, I could swim near the Huntington Beach Pier and I'd be swimming toward the pier, but in that direction. But the current at a certain time would be so strong that I'd be going backwards. And so, you know, and the idea of just being able to make some headway and, and really because I didn't want to have to walk a long way back. <laughs> <laughs> but, but having that experience in a workout really helped me when I was training off Nome, Alaska for the Bering Strait where there were waves and wind and sand blowing and it was hard to see and breathe. And I was going backwards at probably two or two and a half knots. And I thought, okay, not Huntington Beach, that was only at a knot, you know, but, um, and then at some point being able to just swim in place, you just go, okay, this, this, this is good, this worked. So part of my swimming, I think, is also, you know, what situation can I put myself in to learn something new that down the road I might use during a big swim, you know, and, and, you know, what, what can I, how can I, if there's a current over here, I was just talking to a really good friend named Bill Wygant, who is the president of the South End Rowing Club, really super good guy. He was president of the South End Rowing Club for many years. And he was talking about swimming off China Beach off of San Francisco and how at a certain time, there'll be whirlpools there. And, and he was talking to me about, you know, he didn't want to seem like a wimp wearing flippers, but there were people in his group that were in flippers and he thought of the flippers as being something for safety because if things got really rough suddenly with a, with a tidal change that he didn't want to be sort of pulled out to sea or he didn't want if somebody in his group was having a problem he wanted to be able to help them out. So my reaction was who cares what people think about you wearing flippers or not wearing flippers flip it you know just <laughs> put your flippers on and and swim and you know that mentality came to me just a couple days ago because my husband and I were trying to walk along this area that's highly congested with people and they're all out walking. And so, you know, you'd walk 10 feet in front of our house and then there'd be a group standing there and you're just like, no, this isn't working. So what we had started doing is just walking back and forth on the side street and waiting for people to go and realizing it's not about um, having to go a certain course. It's really about going the distance right now. And so that's, that's the thing that really helped me talk to Bill and say, it doesn't matter how you're swimming as long as you're swimming and that you're doing it safely. Um, so those, you know, swimming whirlpools, that's scary. Yeah. <laughs> and, and because of that conversation, I said, you know, have you all thought of having a place to land that's a, a spot where you're going to all make it to? And then... If the title changes, do you have a B spot and know in advance each morning there's a B spot and a C spot and how to get to these different places if something goes wrong? And he said, well, you know, we haven't talked about that yet. And I said, I think that would be really a good thing to have, especially yeah. when you have this huge volume of water going in and out of the bay and headlands where you have rocks and, and surf and all sorts of stuff. It's so important to have plans established. And I learned this from working with the Navy SEALs when I wrote the Open Water Swimming Manual. I mean, they were absolutely incredible 
just doing it during their training session they had boats they had people a list of names they had people count off when they came in they had they had an ambulance on the beach in case somebody got hurt they had a backboard they had smoke signals that they would shoot off if somebody was lost and this was all during training and i'm thinking okay i can learn from this and realize that training is still you're still going into the water jungle you still don't know what's going to happen out here and you need to be aware and prepared and enjoy it but you can't just daze out you know like i've been reading a lot about dolphins lately and i've discovered that when they're swimming along and breathing and sleeping half of their brain goes to sleep and then, and the other half stays awake and they switch off and on so they're able to do both things to stay alert so that they stay they continue to be able to breathe at the surface, but also so that there were predators. So I'm thinking, okay, if dolphins do this, maybe I need to keep my brain switched on a little bit more and not completely <laughs> meditate and go into a different world, you know? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> um, you're bringing back memories of Lake Tahoe. I swam last year across Lake Tahoe and it felt like I was sleep swimming. <laughs> it's like kind of like half sleep swimming, but um, I digress. Um, no, no, there's nothing wrong with that if you have a crew around you that's watching you and you're right. aware of your, your temperature, but if it's really cold and you're not aware of your temperature and you're not aware of what's on around you, that's not a good thing. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Sounds like um, you knew. <laughs> Can you speak a little bit to, um, I've heard you talk about just kind of like, you know, having faith in some regard when you're setting off on these swims. Can you speak a little bit to that? About having space? Faith. 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 Yes. I think that that's what carries me through every big swim, that there is the possibility to reach the other side, that I believe in myself, but I also have a bigger belief that there's somebody over there watching over me. Um, just the other day, I mean, it sounds weird, but I'll just say it anyway. Um, I was swimming two days ago offshore and I'd been almost a two hour swim. And at the end of it, I rolled over on my back and looked up at the sky. And I was thinking about our friend who had passed away a couple of years ago. And I thought about her because she had been so welcoming to me to this neighborhood. and just as I looked up, I saw a sun dog and I thought, oh my gosh, there's Shirley. You know, I feel like she's watching over me. And two days ago was when I get word too that the new book has been accepted. So I think for me, I look at signs and I look at signs in nature and, and signs with people that if somebody keeps saying the same thing, different people say the same thing, you're going, okay, yeah, I guess this is the right thing to be doing right now. Or open up the other ear and listen to because you might hear something that will help you get through whatever it is. So um, I think that comes back to faith and, and faith in people and in, and in the environment and for me, higher being. Totally. Um, I do want to open up to, to Q&A for people if they have um, questions, but before we do that, could you um, Tell us a little bit about the virtual book plates and how and, and that every, if you guys need to send me your email addresses, but kind of explain what it is. I don't think I did a good job so explaining what this, that is. This was just a good idea that Stephen had. It wasn't my idea. He <laughs> thought that it'd be great to be able to commemorate this gathering and 
and also be able to, for people that have books and, and want them signed, it's not possible to do that right now. So what he's done is he's created these stickers that I've been able to autograph and then attribute so I can put to whatever the name, whoever the person is, and then sign it. And so he is able to scan these booklets and email them to whoever wants them. So they'll have my, your name or your friend's name or mom's name on it and or whoever, and then my name signed underneath. And if there's any special thing that you want me to say, some people say, you know, could you just say, just keep swimming? I can do that. <laughs> so I, can, I can put a special message within it and then put it in the book. And then um, I just did this for a really sweet group of young swimmers in Charleston who are all pool swimmers. And they were trying to get encouraged and excited about swimming in the river in Charleston. Um, and so we talked for about an hour. And then at the end, the coach told me that, you know, they're not worried about sharks there. They're worried about alligators. I'm like, oh yeah, I would be too. <laughs> <laughs> I would make sure there's like 50,000 people watching the water and, uh, and making sure that they can get out now if there's a problem. So the point though was that I did book plates for all of them and they were so happy and they had read Grayson. So that was the book that was their connecting point. And actually I'm thinking that, you know, if you want these book plates, I'm so happy to send them but, and write whatever you'd like. Um, but I'm also thinking that if this is successful, this might be a way to do something for the new book because authors now aren't able to do book tours. They aren't able to go to bookstores. They aren't able to do any of that stuff. So, you know, doing this Zoom with you is making me see that this is kind of cool and maybe this is the way I'll be able to connect with maybe you guys again and with people that are book readers or um, swimmers or dog lovers or whatever it is that connects them to the new story. Yeah, lovely. Um, so be sure, that's my last reminder, to be send, me your, send me your email address so I can send those along to Stephen and Lynn, Shannon at intrepidwater.com or PM on Facebook works too. So send me your email address so that I can get those to Lynn. Um, do you want to take a minute to tell us about your book, Lynn, before we open it up to Q&A? Well, right now, the title is Al, colon, Tales in the Water, and it's T-A-L-E-S in the Water. So you'll know now, and nobody else, no other group has heard this, but it's, it's, it connects with swimming and the open water in some way. Um, and I haven't gotten the editorial comments yet from the editor, so I don't know how much is gonna be edited. I don't know if the title will stick. Um, there are some elements about dogs in the water, so there have been discussions about do we keep the tail, tails in the water as tails as stories or do I have it as T-A-I-L-S? Um, so I'm not sure. Uh, we thought, Steve and I talked about it uh, over and over again, we thought it's more than just about dogs, it's about stories, so it should be tails. But when I say tails as in dog tails, people smile. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. What I've learned from writing a book is that when a book is translated into different languages, the title of the book changes. So Grayson in Italian, and I don't know how to say it in Italian, but translated into English was 
the magical encounter of the baby whale and the young girl. <laughs> the title changed. And then, then in England, they couldn't name the book Grayson because there was another book coming out at the same time about a transvestite named Grayson. And they were afraid that people would get confused between the transvestite and the whale. So um, the book there became The Day the Whale Came. So titles are so interesting and weird. And every title I've created first, though, is the one that stuck with the book. Um, and so, you know, we'll see what happens. Long, long story, but anyway. <laughs> well, I hope we get to. To, I'm super excited to find out more about the book when it comes out. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Very excited for you. Um, so questions, Q&A. Nobody sent me anything in advance. Does someone want to come off mute and have questions for Lynn? Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I just have to say, Lynn, I'm so excited to see you, obviously. <laughs> Um, I'm just such a huge fan of yours and your early books, uh, Swimming to Antarctica and Grayson, were so inspiring to me. And that's what got me into marathon swimming. I didn't, I didn't know what a thing it was, but your books were just filled me with so much um, excitement and joy. I, I had to get into it. So thank you. Oh, thank you. So now, where are you swimming and what are you doing? Um, Lynn, right now our pools are just starting to open, so I've done a couple of open, well, I've done a couple of pool swims, but mostly swimming at a nearby lake, and even that, you know, maybe just a couple of times a week. And where's that? Um, Lincoln, Nebraska, um, and the, the lake that we swim in, it's called Branched Oak Lake. It's about a 20, 25-minute drive from my house. Oh, nice. And yeah, it's not bad. So do you swim early morning, afternoon? Um, this usually afternoon, late afternoon, um, in Nebraska, the water is now, it's really comfortable. It's about 68, but when we started swimming in late March, early April, you know, it's still, it was still in the high fifties at that point, which for me is really cold. For me too. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. How many people do you swim with? Um, I think Chris Rutford might still be on the line. Um, Chris is a, a huge, he's the Mims King, swims that, um, and a few others. So anywhere from two to five or six. Very cool. And, and when you finish swimming, do you go drink hot coffee or eat something together? Uh, we, we would if we could, but it's just a, it's a state recreation park. There's really no place to go that's nearby for, for anything like that. So if, we, if somebody brings something, you know, that, that's nice, but there's no place to go, really. And we used to, do, we used to have hot thermoses of hot chocolate and stand there shrivering and drinking hot <laughs> chocolate together at the end of the swim or remember it once being David Uteman's birthday and we would swim together a lot and so one day I made him a chocolate cake with chocolate frosting and I said it was for him he said is it all for me and I said yes and he sat down and ate the whole cake <laughs> <laughs> and it's like one of my most favorite memories and it was just like I think we'd done a 10 mile swim on his birthday or maybe 12 miles it was a big day and a big swim and he was hungry <laughs> I love that any other questions for Lynn? 
I have a quick question. Hi, Lynn. It's Louise. Hi, Hi Shannon. Louise. Hi, everyone. It's so nice Thanks. to see Let everybody. Me, this. Can I say thank you to Louise for giving us this connection to Lynn also? So thank you, Louise, very oh. much for connecting me to Lynn so that we can Oh, my gosh. You're welcome. Well, the last time I saw Lynn was in New York City at the Public Library, and you were doing a book signing, and we drove. And it's so funny because I drove in. Um, we drove in Hugh and Jeannie and I and had a wonderful time at your book signing, and then I got home and later found out I had shingles. Oh, no. <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, well, it started out really good. But, <laughs> but anyway, I, I wanted to, and, and I popped in later. I just got off of a meeting. This is so much more enjoyable than the meeting I was in. So I apologize mm -hmm. if I'm, if I am repeating something you already discussed, but I really um, want to thank you because one of the book, your books that was really meaningful for me was swimming in the sink. Oh, and it was so sad at times and hard to read because I know you're such a naturally joyful person, but it's really, I've shared it a lot during this quarantine people, because I think it's probably pretty powerful. The message that you communicate in the book about you find ways to kind of deal with that brokenheartedness piece yes. that we're all in now. And so I really thank you. And that's the kind of the one book that I'm sharing a lot with people, swimmers that I meet, is Swimming in the Sink. Oh, thank you very much. I, you know, that, that book was the most difficult book that I've ever written, you know, and, and, and it, it, I felt like I had something to say <clears throat> that other people in life may be going through similar situations. And at the time I wrote it, people didn't know about broken heart syndrome that well. And, and in fact, it wasn't the cardiologist that told me that that was probably my problem. Uh, it was my two other doctor friends who actually Laura had gone on my, some of my swims, the one in Antarctica. And so I had total faith in them and they were the ones that helped me figure it out. But I think that, you know, back to this whole group of people all connected right here, right now, that we learn so much from each other and depend on each other and they, and we all become each other's support and figure out how to get through things. So I think it's so special that you've read the book, but that you found elements within it that can help other people. And thank you for doing that. Um, because I'll tell you, there are times where I write a paragraph and just start crying and I'm like, oh man, <laughs> this is just not fun. And I'm thinking, does anyone ever want to read this? And I thought, you know, there'll be people in life that have hard times too. And they do. And so um, the idea was that maybe it could be helpful in some way. And I just saw somebody on Facebook talking about her elderly folks that are ill and how she had read in Swimming in the Sink that just holding somebody's hand can ease that pain. And that was my big discovery that, you know, it, and sometimes just metaphoric, metaphorically holding somebody's hand, but just also I know that physical contact, if you can have it, makes a huge amount of difference. But, but, you know, that book to me was solemn and, and challenging, but, you know, the new book that I just finished two days ago, um, and now have to do the editorial on it, is, is the joyful part of it. It's the sweet spot. It's the thing that, the swimming to Antarctica, the grace, and it's that kind of sensibility. And I think my book agent and editor have said, this is the time for this book, that people need something happy and sweet and positive. And I'm thinking that's what I'm drawing myself to all the time that, you know, when things are really dark now, 
go toward the light, not up there, but just <laughs> the sunshine. <laughs> you know, go to the bright, go to the friends that are, are figuring out how to be happy um, and figuring out what, what we can do with this time and, and make it special. You know, you weren't here earlier on, but I was talking to, to this group, wonderful group, about how um, we were having garage dinners with our neighbors. And, you know, in years to come, we'll be talking about how that's become a great time for us to talk and communicate. And if we hadn't been sort of grounded from our travels, we would never have had this time together. So um, I think that right now, life is a little inconvenient, but it's not... Um, it's not, it's challenging, but we've got the water. And I think that's what keeps us happy. Well, thank you, Lynn. Even if it's Shannon doing her dishes in the sink. I did have one comment, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you, when you were doing your um, NPR interviews and so forth for Swimming in the Sink, I hadn't yet read it and it was on my list to my beach parking lot with my son who was going to spot me and it was, the sun was already going down and it was getting dark and it was you know May-ish and the water was about 58 and I heard your voice I was like I know that voice oh my gosh I know that voice and you were talking about the book and I was like oh my gosh Antarctica holy cow she can do cold water I can do this so it was a really big boost at a time when I kind of needed a boost to to get in that lake and get ready to transition to do my miles in the colder water and at night um, because I had been in a pool up until that point that winter. I'm normally not a pool swimmer in the winters, but I had an opportunity. So there it was. Um, and I was transitioning into the open water and trying to really push the envelope to build the miles in the lake in the chill. And it, it really got me going. So thank you again for that. Oh, <laughs> I managed to, to get in and swim the sun down and put in, I think, two or three miles that night. So wow, it was that's amazing. Cool. So so where's where's your swimming pool, outdoor pool? Cool. Oh, I don't have an outdoor pool. My my lake is Lake George. Oh um, yeah. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah. Okay. And when I got when I got ready to do the lake, I was within days and I had seen one of your talks about a different book you were working on. And I said, I had a question for you and you were so gracious to answer my question and wish me luck on my leg. So thank you for that too. So oh, cool. I, love all over the place. I love, love Lake George when we were little kids. It's beautiful. We spent the summer in the Adirondacks and went to Lake yeah. George and it yeah. is a beautiful place to swim. Yeah. Oddly enough, I had never set foot in it until about uh, 2011. Wow. So, and, and it's my lake now. So, <laughs> so thank you so much, Lynn. Sure. My pleasure. Nobody else wants to talk to me? <laughs> I do. Because <laughs> I like to talk. There you go. Um, there you go. So I just wanted to say thank you. I'd seen you talk in New York uh, many years ago and somebody had asked a question about dirty water and you had talked about the Nile and your experiences. And the thing I always remember when I hear your voice, when you said, I swim for my health. And no matter how much time I had spent planning a swim, preparing, how much money, all that, at the end of the day, I will never jump in again if it's not healthy. And I think that was one of the great pieces of advice that, you know, there are days where you walk in and you're like, it's not healthy for me physically or mentally or whatever. And I always try to 
come back to that and I just wanted to want to say thank you because that was that is one of the things I always take with me whether I'm swimming or cluing or observing that's so cool and I'm so glad it was it's useful I mean we again we all <laughs> learn from each other and we take these little bits and pieces of information but I think that also came from experience besides the Nile River of all right, the water in the, in the ocean looks questionable today, but I need to put in the distance and then I'll get a sinus infection and I'll be sick for a week. So what did that gain me? Nothing. So wait two days and then you can get in the third day, but don't push it if it's not right. And it makes a huge difference because we, we can do something else for a few days or find another place to swim. Yeah. Yeah. So where do you swim? Um, <laughs> I swim in two different places. So I spend my winters in Charleston. Oh. And so, I'm, which is where I am now. And I'm oh. leaving and I spend my summer in New York. Oh. And sort of travel and swim in the Northeast. I'm retired. That's really cool. So where you're swimming in Charleston, do you swim in the river there? <laughs> Not unless I have like a boat or a kayaker because it's, I mean, it's, the tides here are pretty darn strong. So oh. I live at the beach. So on occasion I swim at the beach, I train in a pool. We have a little tiny lake, which is what I used this winter, this when we got quarantined, called Trophy Lake, which is about 500 yards long. <laughs> but it doesn't have gators, because they use that's, it for water that's skiing. An, that's an advantage, yeah. Um, and so, and yesterday I drove two hours with a friend to a beautiful lake. It's a southernmost lake in, in, in South Carolina that doesn't have gators. So called Lake Murray, which was, had a lovely little swimmy swim there, so. I've heard it's beautiful. Do you have to worry at all about water moccasins? No. No. <laughs> Just I'm a New York City girl, so I haven't really seen them and I'm not gonna think about it. Okay. Okay, because I was visiting my friend in Oklahoma once, and we were swimming around Keystone Lake and uh, near Tulsa. And he said, oh, we can't swim close to shore over there. And I'm like, why not? Well, that's where the cottonmouth hang out, water moccasins. Ooh. And I thought, okay, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going over there. I'm not doing, yeah, snakes and sharks, you know, we don't yeah. like to talk about them. They're there, maybe, maybe not okay yeah, uh, yeah weird swimming for me in the ocean here because there's so much sediment in the water I literally can't see my hands uh, and so it's an odd thing having grown up in New York and those waters like you can see a fish the fish sees you and it goes away here you touch the fish I'm sure they're equally freaked <laughs> out when they get touched as I am when I touch them so when that happens, do you scream and alert your friend and then scream <laughs> I did in the beginning, um, but now I'm a little better at it. So I was used to like touching jellyfish, right? And learning to just sort of go through them and not freak out. I'm still working on the fishy thing. Yeah. It's so weird to me to not see my hands yeah. when I'm yeah. swimming. I was, I was getting in the water a couple days ago and shuffling my feet because of stingrays <laughs> and still there was some little fish that was under my foot and I just, it was, you know, blackout and I just like, I didn't think I'd do that, but it just, oh my gosh, you don't expect it and 
Right. You lift your foot up fast and you dive and then go. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, I have to find out. You did. You talked to Swim Charleston kids, right? Yes, I did. I have to talk to the coach. Happy, um, happy something. Yeah. Yeah. Super, really nice. super motivated, good kids, big readers. And, you know, in this world, you don't often get thank yous from little kids. And they were all so sweet. And it made me go, you know, there's something about those kids, but I think also training and acknowledgement of, of support. And um, they, they asked great questions and they were fun. They were great. Cool. More questions for them? I can ask, I'm gonna, can I put somebody on the spot? Are we allowed to do that? <laughs> sure. But I'll, 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 I'll do it in the most political, like the, the most finessed way. We have some very um, talented, wonderful, engaging young people on this call. What is your advice or your sage wisdom or what would you like to say to these extraordinary young women that are growing up and inspiring us and having so much fun in the process, Lynn? I think that in open water swimming, we often look at the older person as the inspiration or the one that's knowledgeable. And I think that there's a lot of wisdom that's shared that way by, by, I mean, I remember to this day, there was a woman named Emma Trinkle, who is 93 years old and used to swim in the bay out here. And then she would invite me in for tea and I'd listen to her play piano. And she would tell me about swimming there in the bay for 20 or 30 years. And I would listen to her stories and learn about them from her. But I think that I also realized that our relationship was so strong because she'd listen to me too. You know, I was 14, 15, 16 years old and it was all new for me and all exciting. And so I think there's also a flip side to this where the young ones come in and infuse their enthusiasm into us and let us see things in a fresh way that we haven't seen before or think about something that we hadn't thought about in that way. And suddenly, I mean, I just, it's such a small thing, but somebody was talking about, and I never would have posted this on Facebook, but talked about how her boobs were all rubbed out raw because of the wetsuit she was wearing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're saying that on Facebook? But she was trying to find a solution for it because it was really cutting and hurting. And so there were three people right away around her age were saying, Desitin is something that works, or I do a combination of Vaseline and Lanolin together that sticks really well. And I'm thinking, wow, this is great. People are, our youngers are experiencing stuff and they're finding solution that helps the olders as well. So I think that goes back both ways, but I think the olders can help the youngers figure out how to do things more safely maybe because they've had that experience. And I'm not sure I answered your question very well. But. No, you answered it beautifully. Oh, thanks for talking more. <laughs> I think to your point, Lynn, I would say, you know, like, that um you know vera and margaret and they're uh i think that's pretty sure that's who louise is alluding yeah to. They, they inspire me all the time with right. what they're doing on a on a regular basis um and it's it, it's it's and it you know and it keeps me going but the, the same as what lynn is doing and has done so 
Um, I love that. I love exactly what you said, Lynn, because it's, 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 it's both and it's the sharing and it's the openness and it's, you know, it's this, it's this, we're like this mind meld right here. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing too, is that the young ones help inspire you, but also they, they listen because they want to learn something. And then the olders feel really good because they feel like they're giving their gift of what they've learned. And so there's this giving back and forth that makes you feel like, all right, these are, we're solo swimmers. We're doing these big, long swims on our own. But in reality, I think in many ways, we're connected more tightly than people that are swimming in a pool, you know, because there's the element of risk, no matter how you say it, there is an element of risk and of challenge and of uncertainty and unknown. And I think it takes a certain temperament to be able to explore unknown waters and, and share that adventure and of discover new things like swimming and hitting fish while you're swimming <laughs> <laughs> and not freaking out and not making your friend freak out either. <laughs> I just wanted to say, man, like I, both Emmy and Ryan and Joe, like, both feel extremely lucky to have, like, big connections with everyone here and in the open water community just because we know that we're alone and anyway um we just feel very lucky in order to have the support and stuff like that and like if we have questions we know we can reach out and an answer or have some advice with them because um, we really <laughs> most of the time. Did you get that, Shannon? <laughs> we got little bits and pieces. Unfortunately, Margaret and Vera, your connection there at Lake Memphis Magog is a little bit <laughs> slow, I think. But I um, now we now we know the only thing that will slow down Margaret and Vera is low bandwidth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I, I think I heard her saying that that they're glad to be a part of our community. <laughs> yeah, maybe if I, you want to type something. I, I think it's great that they're it's wonderful to have you part of the community and there really is that. I mean, and I think that I mean you inspire the olders. And, mm -hmm. and um, bring that brightness that youth brings that makes swimming even more fun, you know? Yeah. I um, have a question, <coughs> excuse me. Um, it's a, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so I, I was really interested <coughs> in the way that, in your mention of stretch, the stretch cords because I'm training for a swim that I'm not going to get enough distance in that I usually get before this swim. It's, a, it's just five miles. It's not, at, uh, not in your league, but um, I want to get more distance in, but there's no pool available yet. And we've started doing some open water. Um, the thing is, though, it's not going to be like, you know, usually I get to 10,000 yards. So I heard you mention stretch cords. 
And I wanted to know what kind of resources you can suggest about that. You know, what kind of, what are some, um, what are some good workouts that I might look into to work on the endurance and um, technique and so forth? I, I think that for a lot of my swims, stretch cords hadn't been invented. <laughs> we, used, we used what was called were called exergenies. I don't know if you remember those. They uh, were these devices that. that had a rope that went through it, and you could adjust the tension. And uh -huh. then you would attach it to something like a door jam or a chain link fence. You tie it off, and then you would imitate the stroke motions. Mm -hmm. And you would also lay on your back and do the backstroke pull like that. Well, thankfully, the stretch cords are here now. And honestly, I haven't used them for years, but I know that that resistance training helped a lot and, and helped me be a lot stronger for Lake Tinicaca. So I think that it might be really good to be able to integrate that into your workout. I think at the most, I was using it maybe an hour to an hour and a half a day. Uh, because for me it was for me it was boring, but I was yeah able yeah. To, yeah. But I was able to look at it as okay. Let me figure out how to do a hundred strokes, and then take mm -hmm. a rest as if I'm swimming a hundred lap uh, a fifth hundred yard freestyle. So do ten sets of a hundred and then stop. And I know people that use the stretch cords and use different resistances on it, but. I was only, I would start off at, with the extra genie um, and, and the stretch cord at a very low reading. And then like you work up with weights, I would do light and then a little bit more moderate. But for these swims, I don't think you need to do lots of tension because I think you can screw your shoulders up that way. And gotcha. yeah, so I, maybe you're gonna count your strokes uh, on using a stretch cord. I would also see if you know somebody who knows somebody that's a physical therapist because they also have these resistant bands that you can pull and use. And so those, oh, yeah. those are amazing in helping you build upper body strength. And I guess you could do stuff with legs. I don't know, um, I've never used them, but I've done the upper body work with them before. Um, and that's been great. But I also think that, you know, we're used to being outside and in nature. And if you're gonna have to do the stretch cord thing, if there's a way you can find a tree that you can attach yourself to and be outside and, and see the birds flying by and somebody walking the dog in the dog park or something. It makes it so much more enjoyable than lying down on the floor in your kitchen or wherever. Yes. Yeah. Because, um, you know, I, I, I was so happy when I got back into the river to swim with my group, you know, we're, it's a smallish, discreet little group because we're not really in, we're still in the yellow, in the um, red phase until, um, until Saturday, but we're, you know, we were just to swim, just to have the feel of swimming and realizing that, um, like the other day, I got to three, about uh, 3,000, 3,500 meters and I was, oh, I can, I'm not really as out of shape as I thought which was very reassuring to yeah, remember. It, it is really reassuring that you can jump in and swim and some, and it doesn't take as long as you think it will be to be back to where you were before. 
Um, that might you'll probably have the endurance. You might not have quite have the speed, but you can get that back. That's very yeah. That, and just being in the river, just being and hearing the water around me, that was just magic. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you very much. You were so. This was wonderful. I I I went to your talk at the New York Public Library and loved it. I you know I saw Louise there. Um, that was a, that was a, I'm so glad to have this chance again. So I really appreciate your coming on and sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you, and it's really wonderful to see you in real life again and to see everyone on the screen. It's very very fun. Thank you. Uh, coming up an hour and a half. Go ahead, Jocelyn. Okay. So Lynn, I just want to say I am a fellow Gaucho, and uh, oh. and I I know Laura and Ruth who's yeah. now River, right? Yes. From uh, playing water polo. Wow. So were you on the US team yeah. too? Uh, yeah, yeah. Long oh, wow. So was, was Sandy Nita your coach? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I know Dion and Mo and Lynn and Marla and all that group too. That's so cool. I was just in Australia because I was supposed to go and sneak on board a cruise ship yeah. and get to Australia and the whole thing surprisingly was canceled, but that was fine because I was actually able to see Mo and she's yeah. and wound up talking to her swimming water polo players yeah. and got to see her. And then Dion, I went, I was her roommate in college. So these worlds once again all yeah, connect. interconnect. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I want to give you a virtual blue marble. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Can't wait to do it. Um, anyway, so, and if you didn't get your book yet, Lynn, I will send you one because I have copies of his book of Blue Mind. Oh, that would be fantastic. Maybe you could just email me and I'll just shoot you my email address. Okay. My, my mailing okay, uh, yeah, or I'll get it through Shannon or something. That's, that would be great. That'd be great. Super. Thank you. So are you, where are you swimming now? So I live near Shannon in it's Southern one of my three. <laughs> yeah. So um, actually I'm going off to Emigrant Lake, which is just our local lake. So we've been able to get back in since May 1st. Wow. So we've been in the water for a while now and um, and actually, either tonight or tomorrow, we're going to do a full moon swim. Oh, fun. Coming. Oh, that'll be great. Actually, you know what I was just thinking as you're saying that? You, that's pretty early to get into a lake in May, in May in Oregon. And then I was thinking, you know, there might be a lot of swimmers that are deciding they want to stay in through fall and try to get in through winter. And yeah. one of the things that I learned from Bill Wigant, who was the South End Rowing Club, president for years he basically said if you ride the temperature down you can stay in it if you stay in pretty much every day you can do it but um it's when you miss a week or something like that that makes it really hard to ride the temperature down yeah um, well shan shan so the last two winters in oregon in the same lake shannon and i have been going and and so shan has been really the one <clears throat> wanting to see what she can do in cold water and getting ready for um, Loch Ness. And so I was like, okay, I'll go with you. And I couldn't have yeah. done it without you, Jocelyn. Yeah, so we were swimming all winter long in, in Emigrant Lake, yeah. That is so cool. And, yeah. and South End Club is so beautiful. My sister used to swim with South End. Oh. And it's such a great club. 
Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, all right, you guys, we're coming up on seven o'clock Pacific time. It's been an amazing morning, and I know I could take all of Lynn's time and talk to her forever, but um, we'll let we'll let us all go about our day. Don't forget to send me your email address so we can get our virtual book signing. And yeah. maybe Lynn, maybe you could come back and tell us about your book once that more once we know more. That would be awesome. I would love to do that. A book will take anywhere from nine months to two years to get it published. So uh, it's, we'll still be here. <laughs> and um, so, you know, it, it, it'll take what it takes. But on the other side of it, the good thing is that I'm really lucky the book isn't published right now because it's extremely difficult to have people know about it and authors are really struggling. So I'm thinking, sorry for the other authors, but they're going to be figuring out stuff that will help me yeah. later on. But I think you know, being able to Zoom with you and, and other people who read books, this may be the way to do it. And it's really cool because we get to see all each other together. Um, it's been really great. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. If you'd like to be a guest on Marathon Swim Stories, just email me, Shannon at intrepidwater.com. Please stay in touch by joining our email list at intrepidwater.com. Thanks for listening.